Friday afternoon deploy is in code review for its first pull request ever. you've been working on today oh man uh so you know this has come up on podcasts in in the past when when blake's been on mm. um that they uh do project templates oh, right project templates especially when you kind of have some some downtime in between projects so i've been working on that um you know i found that one cookie cutter template that we were looking over this morning um but i'm i'm kind of thinking of just Doing your own, doing my own. Don't now that I get that. what cookie are cutters you, doing, yeah. Are you so cookie cutter is a tool? It's not just the, a description of a thing. You're Correct. actually using it's a tool. Both, called, oh, okay. But we're using a tool. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. There's a there's a Python uh, command line tool uh, cookie cutter that gotcha. is pretty cool. So it lets you use like some Jinja um, syntax um, to be able to cookie cutter a, a project with what you need files and like variable names within the files but also variables for the file names so it like templates out the actual file structure yeah so you just crank out a project we're looking at doing uh, more of that type of stuff we start so many projects here yeah and, and as I, I guess i should address um you heard another voice we have uh two guests with us today that we're super excited uh to have with us we have Alyssa shavinsky uh and brett thomas how are you guys i'm doing I'm great good. Excellent. Yeah, thanks for having us on. Yeah, we're glad to have you. Where are you guys uh, um, coming in from? You've probably told me this already, but I have a terrible memory. Well, so I'm, uh, I'm calling in from Redwood City, California, uh, out here in Silicon Valley. Excellent. And a lot of people think I'm in Silicon Valley. I've got a 650 phone number, but right now uh, I'm in New York in between Queens and Brooklyn. And starting next week, I will be uh, working out of London with Techstars London. Sweet. Very cool. Congrats. Yeah, we're glad to be in Arkansas then. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're split in the middle. Like, yeah, we're, uh, yeah, right Silicon Valley and New York on our way to London. That's and we're right. just like, yeah, pay it bill. I feel like it does a lot for the latency of, of uh, the communications here. We're, we're physically right in the center. Centrally <laughs> located. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. It's perfect. Uh, so, so Alyssa is the CEO and co-founder of Faster Than Light, and Brett Thomas is co-founder and CTO there. Um, I'll let you guys introduce yourselves and, and give a little bit of, of, of your background. We'll, we'll start with Alyssa. All right, sure. Uh, so what can I tell you? I've been in startups since 1999. Uh, projects I've worked on that you're more likely to have heard of include Everyday Health and Brave. Uh, I've also worked on a number of smaller things that you've probably never heard of, but uh, were really fun at the time. Uh, a lot of my work in recent years has focused on uh, security, privacy, security for startups. And here at Faster Than Light, we are building super fast, very easy to use static analysis tooling. Awesome. And that's for, um, obviously, for developers. Um, but uh, Python, um, you know, we talk a lot about Python on our show. That's what we use a lot of. Um, Python is definitely something you're representing there. Is it? It's other languages as well, though, right? 
Yeah, so uh, the tool that Brett built, and um, Brett will tell you more about that, is it works with any language. We've built this DevOps backend, uh, and we plug in open source tooling into it. And we decided that we would start with Python for a few reasons. Um, and one reason is that- Because it's uh, awesome. Brett's yeah, so Python is awesome. Like, Brett's a Python developer, and I've Good been man. in the community for a few years. Like, I've spoken at uh, PyCon events on almost every continent, and uh, just it's such a great community. Yes. Um, yeah. So we thought, let's start in Python, but uh, we also have for Java, and we're rolling out, you know, we really want to be available in every language, you know, over the next, I don't know how long it'll take. Uh, but yeah, let's talk Wait, Python today. And one, of, and one of the great things about starting with Python was I didn't need to find a test code base to test the static code analysis tools on because I just run it on mine right. since yep. all our stuff is written mm -hmm. in Python. So. And we found bugs. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> well, yeah, Brett, Brett, tell us about yourself um, and, and, and your background as well. Yeah, sure. So I, I've been doing this uh, professionally for, I guess, more than 25 years now, but kind of hitting the, the highlights. I came out here to Silicon Valley in uh, 1996 uh, to work for Pretty Good Privacy, uh, PGP, doing encryption stuff and actually uh, was involved in the effort to, uh, to export our code that really helped bring down the uh, encryption um, uh, export controls at the time. Uh, and then uh, after that, uh, went and uh, was a very early employee at a company called uh, eMusic, which was the first legal subscription MP3 <laughs> download site on the internet. <laughs> um, and uh, um, we sold that to a universal. And then uh, my co-founder there and I, and uh, another old, old co-founder of ours, uh, founded a company called Vendicia, which does uh, back-end payment stuff. Um, and, and I actually ended up spending... Uh, 15 years there, much to my astonishment. Uh, but uh, I spent, uh, uh, over that time, I kept several hundred million credit cards safe. So I also got a lot of uh, practical, you know, DevOps and, and security experience, say PCI level one com service provider, mm -hmm. yeah, you're service provider compliant for, you know, over a decade, that sort of thing. I do not envy anyone uh, working in the nuts and bolts of PCI compliance. I, I, I got to admit that not having to do that was one of the things that really attracted me to this role. I will tell you, I, I went off and started founding my own companies, I think in no small part because I'm not a big fan of bureaucracy. And, uh, and then at, at, at Vendicia, because I was the chief security officer as well as the chief technology officer, I ended up being the chief bureaucracy <laughs> right. right. I was the one running around going, no, you can't do that. It's against policy. So. Every time we have a client come in that um, is is like tech security literate enough to ask us about PCI compliance. And they're like, because so I guess to give you guys some background, um, Alyssa and Brett, you know, we're a software development consultancy here at Lofty. Um, and so we're building products for um, enterprise organizations, mid-level organizations, and occasionally here and there, like the, the startup or the entrepreneur um, <clears throat> product, you know, that they've, they've brought the vision and, and we come to implement it. So every once in a while, um, especially on the enterprise side, someone's aware of, uh, of, of PCI security and they ask, like, what do you do? when you guys build applications as far as uh, PCI compliance? And like the first answer is, we pay someone else to hold that responsibility. <laughs> um, that's what Stripe is for, yeah, or, was, and others. That was me. Yeah. Was, you, was, you were the guy we would pay. And, and, it was, and that was the thing that was so terrible about it, too. You had this realization that, 
wow, this is really miserable. And the more miserable it is for me, the more value I'm providing. The my more clients, lucrative. Right? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I yeah. want PCI to just be, uh, I just absolutely kill me every single year. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's yeah. awesome. That's yeah. a, a really cool backgrounds on, on both of you guys. So we're excited to have you on the show and talk, um, you know, just about our stuff and the things we're working on, but also obviously about um, the, the tools that you guys are working on. Um, which which we played with a little bit today, so we 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 took it for a spin. Um, oh, cool! Hope we didn't knock anything over. Uh, we not that we could only we, we uploaded node modules to it. Um, <laughs> 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 not really, <laughs> but uh, go ahead and, and tell us a little bit about the tool. Uh, give us some background on 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 what it is and the things you guys are working on. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. So, so uh, maybe I could start by uh, giving a little bit of an overview of what static code analysis is, Please do. Um, yeah. because because uh, I know that even in the development community, for some people, it's still kind of a new idea. Um, uh, and the idea is, you know, I think we're all used to testing our code by running it, right? I mean, by dynamically executing it, and certainly that's the only way to to, to verify, you know, that uh, some of your functionality is working. But there's been a, a recent push. Um, and, and the idea of a static code analyzer isn't new. I mean, you know, there was lint for C back in the back in the day, which is that. But the idea is that uh, you're running a tool on the source code and often the object code, uh, looking for patterns uh, of, of code use that can be dangerous. Um, and, you know, it, I think in some cases, it's gotten a little bit of a bad rap because it's so easy. How do you define dangerous exactly, sure. right? And mm-hmm. so you can end up with a very wide range of, of things that it's kind of wagging its finger at you at. But, but the, the basic concept of it is, hey, let's run a program that's going to analyze a program uh, and, and give us output about, uh, about things that, uh, that, that could be harmful. Is it, so within those definers, is it looking for stuff standardized by like OWASP and things of that nature? Uh, so I mean, it's going to depend a lot on what the tool is, okay. um, and 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 some of the uh, uh, some of the OWASP stuff actually is, I think, fairly amenable to uh, static code analysis. For example, um, the uh, you know the, um, uh, SQL injection, yeah, as I say, SQL yeah, injection it, stands it, it, out. It, you know, a long you know, again, having just come come out of doing this PCI compliance for fifteen years, you know, I'm very familiar with what you know the OWASP standards are. I'm sure. Um, yeah, and the uh, uh, Tell me number you know, three right so, now. You know, no, <laughs> so looking at you know, so looking at your code and going, all right, you know, does this SQL have placeholders in it? Right, mm-hmm. you know, okay, like that's something that uh, you know certainly you can uh, uh, you you be able to detect that way. Um, you know, I, I think another classic one, for example, is looking watching for um, insecure uh, random number generation, mm-hmm. right, where you're mm-hmm. you're like seeding a something cryptographic, but you're just calling the standard library random number generator mm-hmm. that's not up to that task. Right, right. got yeah. it. The the old XKCD random number return for and there's a comment next to it that says uh, uh, chosen by fair dice roll guaranteed to be random. <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> well, and actually, I, I have to admit, um, I actually introduced an, at early in my career an absolutely horrendous bug into PGP five for Unix nice. uh, that, uh, that actually generated a cert advisory. That's um, awesome. like, uh, that I'm personally responsible for. Oh. And what oh, happened wow. was this was written back in the C days mm. and uh, I was implementing support for the brand new Linux debt slash dev slash random as a, as a source of randomness. Mm-hmm. Um, and the original code had been written by somebody else and it was implemented using the C, the old style C um, uh, file, uh, file descriptors instead of the file handle. Mm-hmm. Um, and I switched it to use the new 
uh, thing, but the, it changes the, the, the call pattern. And so previously it used to return the character, which would then get fat that you had read from Deb Random, which would then get fed into the pool. And I altered it so that it would return instead the number of characters that it read mm. and put that uh, in the pool. Nice. And that was always one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's fantastic. I don't want to talk about the biggest security uh, vulnerabilities that, that I've deployed because no. they may or may not still be a customer <laughs> over here. Uh, <laughs> I just, I, I want to have a key signing party now. I'm really excited uh, that Brett's uh, a PGP guy. So I just want to like, let's sign each other's keys and hang out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's uh, I don't know if you've been following what's going on with PGP. There's a big key signing problem right now with, Oh PGP. no, I'm, I'm, I'm out of the loop. It looks like what's, uh, yeah, uh, what's no, so what, what happened is uh, uh, PGP uh, uses key servers to distribute the keys. And mm-hmm. so basically you generate a key and you can upload it to a key server. Well, anybody can sign my key and say, Oh yeah, I validated that this person is who he says he is. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, someone, it, this has actually been a known vulnerability for like 20 years that nobody's ever gotten around to taking care of. And now somebody is actually taking advantage of it, mm. which is, it turns out that if you sign someone's key 150,000 times and upload it to the key server, the key server doesn't handle that very well. This is like a and denial of service does. almost because of yes, like cryptographic. Exactly. Yeah, okay. So yeah. they've already had a number of the major signing keys for, for distributions have been poisoned this way. Oh, wow. wow. And, there's, and there's no provision in the protocol for deleting a signature off of a key. Wow. So, yeah, yeah, it's kind of existential. I have no idea what they're going to do about it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Just get a new key, right? No big deal. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's fun stuff. Uh, Mm. None of us are security experts by, uh, well, I don't know. I don't want to speak for you guys. Maybe Alan, you holding that on me. Amateur Uh, amateur security experts. But definitely. You have the the, the, the CE, what? CEH book on yeah, your desk. I do. Yeah, so you, I do. So you I have do. all the required reading. <laughs> I yeah. do. Uh, I, have the, I have the study materials to get certified. Practically a CISSP. Yeah. <laughs> having the books and then there's reading them. Uh, you know, it, it's worth <laughs> noting, like, we're definitely security people. You know, Brett was CISO, um, and a lot of my work in recent years has been, like, the biz up around security and privacy. Uh, but we're, in many ways, actually a DevOps company. Right. Uh, because mm-hmm. the tool... Uh, I'd say we've made what's like really like Brett uh, and the rest of the dev team, um, the tool that the company's made. Um, it's really more of a DevOps tool to the extent that we're doing static analysis. Uh, like we're working on documentation now around how to better explain, you know, the different error messages that we'll show you in a PDF. And I think it's going to be really helpful and really interesting to explain to people and, share with the developer community, like what is static analysis and um, how do you do it and how do you understand the results? Um, So we're going to be getting into like static analysis education, um, but we don't actually make any of the static analysis. We we, like optimize static analysis. On the Python side, you guys are using Bandit. Is that correct? Yeah, that, that's that's the first one I've implemented. One of the things actually that we're really interested in doing, though, um, is implementing multiple tools for the same languages, mm-hmm. um, you know, and trying to to come up with, um, you know, an amalgamation and a consensus model, perhaps. Right. Um, we're, we're still very early in how I'm thinking about that. But uh, but yeah, I, I do want to make it clear. Yes, Bandit is where we started. Um, and actually, Bandit ended up being a really good choice for our first one. Their their output is uh, is extremely great. regular and parsable. Yeah, probably. yeah. I'm very delighted with that with uh, using that product. Yeah, it reminds me. I'm happy me, with Bandit too. 
It, yeah, it's we we've actually used Bandit, uh, and I don't know if you guys have used it on any of of your projects, but yeah. definitely I have. I just haven't plugged into a CI pipeline to got it to yeah. run it through there. Yeah. Set it and forget it. Yeah, we. And, and, um, so can I ask in that CI pipeline, um, do you have like kind of a uh, a maximum threshold that a bug can be, right? I mean, I assume you, it's not yet a clean pass because, right, there tends to be a lot of uh, noise lot that of, comes out of it. Right. Um, I don't know if uh, if we have anything that like a build breaks over it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we use it more like we use a linter yeah. in which it may yeah, not yeah, stop yeah. a build yeah. from, from, yeah. from yeah. passing. Yeah, yeah one, of the, one of the things that, I mean, and, and we're still experimenting, I think, with exactly how people are going to put this tool into their pipelines. Mm. But, um, you know, I think one of the things that's really interesting is the idea of being able to set, you know, all right, beyond a certain threshold, you have to at least explain why this isn't a problem, right. you know, if you're going to deploy something that's got a, got a severe enough problem. Right. Because when, especially when you get to some of the really, like, there are there are a bunch of the um, uh, the high priority ones that are pretty cut and dried. Like if you've got this pattern in your code, you have a problem, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, you know, there was uh, one I saw uh, early was that was actually there was um, uh, I want to say it was Flask, and it had there's an option to turn on debugging, and you know the code that I had copy and pasted it turned on debugging, and I ran state of code analysis, and it's like, oh hey, you know, having debugging on in this tool in this thing means that you have a remote code execution vulnerability. Sure, right? it's like, mm. oh yeah, we shouldn't deploy with that. We should turn that off. That's right? that fancy. You know, like, that's that WorkZug uh, debugger. Mm, yeah, uh, that that Flask ships with, and, and on your cookie cutter project you're working with yeah someone took liberties with the django project and made it not django and you know plugged a bunch of it's never happened you ever pick up like a django project and then they rip out half the django and yeah or or any framework you're familiar with and you find someone's like boilerplate for it and 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 you open it up and it's like that login page we got for aws i'm like this isn't a django project this is a ham sandwich It started as Django, but I don't know what has happened to Which it. Which is why I'm thinking about starting from scratch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's got WorkZug, or I, I might be pronouncing that right, who knows, uh, plugged into it. But it's a, like, it's like Werner WorkZug? Yeah. Uh, uh, Maybe the reference, maybe, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm also not uh, uh, well-read enough to tell you if that's true or not. Uh, but I know that that's like a... That's kind of a, a, a really bad joke. I'm that's sorry. A, no, it's that's Her- Herzog is his last name. Director. Oh, gotcha. Mm. So uh, it's uh, okay. I think it's a staple in Flask land. Yeah, you get like a like a traceback because page. What did say the guy that invented Flask like invented works? So it's 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 poco.org. Yeah, yeah man, we're on this like long trail of I don't know how to pronounce it. But yeah, <laughs> that that organization, right. uh, same place that it comes from. Because I heard he he made Flask on like basically a bet, like New Year's or something. He was drunk and was like, it was gonna, like I'm gonna make a, I'm gonna make a, 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 a framework, you know, because like that was around the time uh, bottles was still out there. It's yeah. a reference to bottle, I assume. That's what I assumed, yeah. yeah. I don't know if anyone's ever used the bottle framework for Python, but that's a thing. It's nope. still out there somewhere. But yeah, remote code execution. You get like a traceback page that lets you, um, basically gives you like a, a, a REPL um, mm. at the state at which your traceback occurred. So you can like check what variables uh, were in context and, and evaluate statements at that point where the code stopped executing. Okay, so it's kind of like a, an IPython embed drops in wherever there's a stack trace. Yeah, and it happens in your browser, so it's for web-based apps. Oh. So you get a little, there's a little, like a, a pin number comes out in your console, standard out, and you plug that into the traceback page. So that's like you know, and I'm super, sure super duper hosted, secure. I'm sure if you've got that hosted somewhere, 
you know, on a VPN behind, you know, that's not on the internet, that could be a lovely little debugging tool. Sure. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. On, your, on your container, on your machine that can't talk to anything. Exactly. Yeah, not yeah. a problem. Yeah. 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 So you definitely, those kind of things. We, um, I won't tell you the specific errors that it caught because <laughs> they haven't been fixed yet, but we ran our marketing site through it. Um, um, and there were a couple, like you mentioned, Brett, of uh, things that like, okay, you know, good to know that there's a pattern here, but probably doesn't surface to the level of something we'd want to change. Um, and that's because, like, one of them was Django's um, mark safe function, which, mm-hmm. which makes a string safe. It doesn't get escaped, and so it may have executable HTML and JavaScript in it right. uh, when it gets rendered to, to the browser. And in fact, it does by design because that's running on a piece of code that is translating Markdown into HTML for us on where we plug in blog posts to our site. That's the Wagtail. Uh, it's Wagtail. Component. And yeah. it's admins only. It's a, it's a privileged user that can come in there and, and right. edit content in that way. Uh, but there were some other things I found <laughs> uh, that we should fix. Uh, but again, same thing. Like, um, it's definitely surfaces things that, that could be addressed. Some are uh, right. Well, and, and part of what we're what we're uh, you know looking at expanding our tool to do, and, and to be clear, I mean, it doesn't do it quite yet. It does it does let you annotate uh, the results now, but um, you know what, what we really want to do is we want to kind of give you a framework to manage all of that and to say, okay, you know, in this particular case, this isn't a problem. So like, I don't want to hear about this anymore. Right. 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 Um, And uh, because a lot of those cases, and I think in a lot of those cases, you do end up having to have a human being take a look at it. Right. You know, the first time you run it, you go, Oh wow. Okay. What is all this? Yeah. Um, You know, but you know, there's a lot of cases where, you know, I was talking to uh, uh, talking to a a customer the other day who was talking about this uh, uh, problem they were having where uh, they've got uh, uh, an API key embedded in their mo- mobile app. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, it's one of these things where they have a very carefully crafted API key that can only do one thing that it's safe to do from an end user perspective, right? Mm. Um, but, you know, you run the static code analysis on it, it's like, ah, you've got, you know, a thing called API key in your in your code and it's just statically in here. Like, this is a huge problem. And it's like, well, okay, but actually it isn't here. But We but may or may not have some API keys in the source code of a market. <laughs> 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 yeah. may, may or may not have four of those. Um, Are there... Yeah. They Did serve- you see the people uh, the people crawling for uh, .github directories on OpenWeb? And then they've been, uh, if they find your GitHub credentials, they'll uh, shut down your GitHub and, and try and extort Bitcoin from you to get it back. I'm not shocked. Uh, no. We got hit one time with, we had, a, we had a private project that we were building, and then we wrote a, a, a technical blog post on the internals of it, and the developer who was working on it um, made a copy of that repository and put it up as a public GitHub repo from the project he had been working on, and Helpful. to yeah, yeah. To, to to include that uh, with the blog post. Unfortunately, uh, I believe it was AWS API keys. Um, oh, there that's a classic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, what was so a, a couple of fascinating things happened mm. after that happened. <laughs> First. Um, GitHub emailed us. So mm. GitHub was doing static analysis on code yeah. that we we're pushing up and said, hey, this yeah, looks they, like looks like API they'll keys. Send you, they'll send you an email. Yeah. Yeah. On, on a, and they'll also do it now on uh, upstream uh, dependencies that have security flaws. I just, saw that, I just saw that in, in one of my old projects. That's like a nothing toy project. And, and I just was referencing it. And now it pops up and it's like, you need to upgrade your Django REST framework and stuff like that. That's pretty but, cool. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's neat. So, so GitHub let us know, 
Um, the second thing that happened was we went and changed it. Um, That's good. The third thing that happened was AWS let us know, but they didn't say, hey, we found your API key in a public repository. They said, hey, what are you doing with all these GPU nodes in Singapore? Um, <laughs> because someone because someone found it before GitHub Got to mine that Bitcoin. Uh, yeah, so, yeah. So, yeah, so people were crawling that. People were watching that. And mm-hmm. um, uh, by the time we found we were walking to lunch. When the, I remember we had the whole team was going to lunch. You were there, Alan, right? Yeah, I was. We were walking to Hammond Trees, yep. and like everyone's getting emails and, and looking at each other like, is this legit, you know? And uh, by the time we got back from lunch, like 45 minutes later, um, we had accrued something like $9,000 worth of AWS charges uh, in about an hour. So that's. I like, wonder if they got a Bitcoin out of it. They might have, maybe. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, AWS, by the way, super cool. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I went in and, and did what any smart CEO does in that moment and says, I'm really dumb. <laughs> Please pity me. Uh, and they totally credited it back to us. They were, they oh, were super, they were super yeah. cool about it. Yeah. And then they said, I don't think they let me do it twice, though. Uh, so got away with it once, but yeah. it was pretty. It was a pretty fascinating chain of events. I was like, "Oh, cool! GitHub's looking. Oh shit! Someone else is looking too." Uh, and those people really exploited it. They right really away. like GPU instances. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wonder, you know, is there a feed off of GitHub of new projects? I that's what I assumed. Just, it's got to be. Something you know, I, like maybe that. Yeah. people just camp on that, and as soon as they see something come through with AWS credentials, bam, they know they've got surely, four hours before. Surely people yeah, are, right. I mean, I, there's certainly the resources are out there for someone to mine like an actual feed of commits, yeah. but this was a new project, and mm-hmm. it was the initial commit to a new project, yeah. and that's where I felt like it came from. There's I think that's probably the most dangerous. I mean, that, that was, I, I remember I apologized to Alyssa when I was, first was working here, because it took me like three weeks for my before my first check-in, right? Because I was like, I was just getting it prototyped. I was just getting it going. Right. And so I had just put my credentials in the code, right? right. Just to get it working. Right. And then I was like, okay, but I'm not checking it in until I get this out until of the that code. Out I yeah. Yeah. Do that. yeah, I know they, they definitely have an API to peer, to uh, parse the commits. So, cause there's, uh, was it commits from last night, which is just all the random commit oh, yeah. messages yeah. where people are like swearing yep. or, or complaining about their stuff. And, that can be a yeah. fun. Yeah, and you can. Yeah, I, I'm sure. I'm sure there's people who are just sitting on that, waiting for yeah. credentials. It's like yeah. the the old uh, when you get random um, hits in your your um, your logs for wp oh, yeah. admin yeah, yeah, php yeah. on your very obvious mm. not php yeah, side. all the time. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, that, that was the same thing. I set up our first server right, and I was just like, I ran it, and immediately just like, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> Scrolling by, you're like, yeah, no, this isn't a PHP install. Right. No, exactly. it's not an Oracle <laughs> database. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, we. Uh, I want to step back a little bit. Um, I'm, I'm sure we'll we'll come back to to the kind of low level security stuff, but um, I, I wanted to ask Alyssa. Um, you know. How how long have you guys been uh, as a company running and, and doing this product? You said you're about to turn two, right? Well, no, we're halfway towards two. Halfway to two. Uh, we, okay. We started so this one. company last June, um, and we was actually uh, me and a different person started this company as a consultancy, and I'm just a trash consultant. Um, <laughs> I so are we. Yeah. <laughs> no, you, you're professionals. You're still doing it. You've stuck with it. I've been making software since 2003. It's really like the only thing I love, um, and so I started this consultancy with someone in like a. Like two weeks in, I'm like, let's make software. Let's get VC funding. Um, so wait, were you, what, what kind of consultancy? Were you a developer consultancy or were you doing like business consulting? 
we were running static analysis tooling on Solidity code. Got it. And that's how we came to bring Brett on, who's now like co-founder and on the board and CTO. And uh, Brett was, Brett's been my mentor since 2012. Um, and Brett's easily one of the best software developers I know. Um, Brett could argue maybe I don't know a lot of people, but I think <laughs> I think I know a lot of people. Um, and I don't even have to be modest; she does it for me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's how we got started. Uh, I was a static analysis tooling consultant. Got um, it. We were just getting paid too much money to do this work that was really frustrating and annoying and difficult. And the premise of this company that we built was that you know running static analysis using these open source tools is just you know, more difficult than it needs to be. Um, and so, like, Brett's first order of business when he joined the company, just, like, basically as soon as the company got started, and I was like, hey, let's make software instead of consulting, um, was to figure out how to make that process easier. Right. That, um, so, so we have kind of half-cooked an idea, I guess, um, of an offering that, so, so we're a, we're, we are a consulting company, um, and when you are in the services business, um, you dream all day of every day of how to make that be a product business <laughs> instead. Um, and, and when you're in the product business, yeah, yeah. you, exactly. Yes. You want, you want that, you want that sweet, sweet consulting contract when you're in the product business. I mean, it's, it's, it's a grass is greener type of thing. Yeah. Um, there are two different, very different types of revenue, um, for a company of like these big projects that you can you can you can roll you can make big bets on, um, but they're not consistent and they don't necessarily it's not as dependable kind of revenue. You have to go hunt every month for next month, um, and so uh, we we've been thinking about that. We we actually have set up um, an offering at the company that is a a managed service, and so what we're doing uh, is uh, code performance analysis. Uh, application performance, APM tooling, and things like that, using open source tools underneath it, and then doing what we do best, which is staffing human resources to look at those sort of things, but bundling that into a monthly fee in which we manage the performance of an application and its uptime, and we respond to outages, and that is a product for app performance. Um, we have been sort of drafting up, we actually have go out and market, but it's, it's, a, it's a very new product for us, something on the app security side. Uh, for us, we were looking at doing it for container-based workloads. So this is something we would actually sell to customers uh, for software that we've built uh, when they particularly wanted, uh, you know, some sort of managed security in addition to the software that we had built. So it's geared around the types of tools that we use. But for container-based workloads, um, different static analysis tools, also uh, container monitoring tools to detect if, like a um, like if a, 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 a root shell is opened with an attached terminal, things like right. that. Um, and we were trying to figure out the same way to do that. How could we use automation tools, right, and use a DevOps pipeline that gets us most of the way there, but then on the back end staff that with an actual person who can respond to those situations and actually... Um, make adjustments and corrections and, and redeploy the code to actually fix the problems when they come up, um, which was something that we were, we're still continuing to be interested in, um, but it's not, it's not our primary line of business. And for that, that was one place where we were using Bandit uh, on our Python code to do um, that type of analysis. That was sort right. of our, our, our prescriptive work, right, of, of getting in front of problems before they surface. And then we're also doing, like, uh, 
active monitoring of systems for our reactive, like detect a breach, and then what's our incident response policy to it. So um, while we're not security experts, we knew that we could provide staffing, policies, procedures, and then really, really good tooling um, that would allow us to do good security work even if we ourselves weren't creating the tooling, right? And I think there's value in that. At least, well, yeah, that's that's what I tell the people I try and sell it to. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I agree. I mean, I, I think, you know, uh, you know, I've spent, I guess, about 20 years now, you know, taking open source tools and, and building, you know, building services with them, um, you know, and, and so I, you know, I think, yeah, it is possible certainly to grab Bandit and, and, and do it yourself. Um, you know, our hope is to, to give you some context and some, some tools to help manage all of that. Uh, you know, and, and allow you to to use that tool in an, in an easier and, and, and often a faster way as well, too, because we didn't talk about it quite as explicitly. But, you know, one of the things that we're hoping to add is that, um, uh, you know, running these tools on a large project can take a long time. Uh, but one of the things that we're doing on our back end is parallelizing that so that we mm -hmm. can run on more than one project and your one more than one file on your project at a time. And so theoretically, we could get your runtime down, even on a very large project, to just whatever the longest one that takes to run is right. Yeah, if you can parallelize um, it, you're you're finished when the the slowest job is done, basically. Right, right. exactly. And so, and so you know, so again, I, I think even though we're taking this open source tooling, we're adding value. You know, it's not uh, we're not we're not just doing exactly what you you would do if you grabbed it and ran it on your code, right? I so you hinted at something that we when we were using the tool, we were trying to make some guesses about the architecture from the outside and confirmed, mm -hmm. so we were looking at it, and just based on what we were seeing, we said, I bet this is running static analysis on a per-file basis. Yeah, well, so that's the way Bandit works. Um, it, it's going to depend a little bit on, uh, on, on what tool you're using, right? Okay. Um, so, for example, uh, uh, the Java um, uh, static code analysis that we've got working now, um, you know, that takes a jar file. And that jar mm -hmm. file you know, comes, is the output of, of dozens or scores of, of individual source files. Right. Yeah. right? So, um, so it actually depends a lot on, on what the infrastructure is and what, and what the other pieces of it are. But, yes, in fact, if you, if you pay attention, closely, you know, you can see there's a percentage meter that's going by, and yeah, that meter is how many of your files have we run Has this on? Run yeah. Against, yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, and I, I, will, I, will, I will admit that that's, I'm, that's you know, obviously that is the cheapest and dumbest way to do that. And, uh, you know, but long term, my hope is to, you know, gather some statistics and hopefully be able to do a, a more useful, you know, thing than just a per file basis, right? Because on a per file basis, you could have 100 10 line files in one 10,000 line file. And I would tell you that I was 99% done while right. I was on that one last file, right? So, right, right. That sounds yeah. like a well, Mac update. It's a also worth noting that, you know, we have this like web-based SaaS product that's like $19.99 a month. Um, and then we also have like the things that we're offering for enterprise. And so, you know, we have like a much more sophisticated architecture. And I mean, Brett can talk about that a little bit more, but uh, there's like your guesses and what you're actually seeing on web today versus, you know, some things that aren't necessarily implemented there, but I think are like really interesting. That's awesome. Um, what, out of curiosity, I mean, what kind of things are you guys doing on the on the enterprise side? Mm. 
I'll hand that over to Brett. That's a lo- that's actually more of the parallelization. With gotcha. Yeah, so, so, okay. so I, I will actually tell you, um, uh, and the reason why we, we, we kind of, there was a pregnant pause there is because, <laughs> you know, we're, we're still young enough. We're trying to figure out exactly what we're doing for the Got enterprise. Yeah. Um, but uh, the uh, some of the things that we really thought about, I mean, a, a very obvious one is going to be increased parallelization, right? So mm-hmm. you know, we'll, we'll give you a cap on on what you can do for the for the cheap monthly one. Mm-hmm. I, you know, on the theory that if you're paying for the cheap monthly one, you're a small team or an individual, right? But you know, once you get up to you know having an enterprise, you're going to have hierarchies of projects, and you know, you're going to have people who are going to want to be able to see across multiple projects and see how things are going. You've got access um, control within the corporate hierarchy. Those yeah, things. exactly, and roles and permissions, and who gets mm. to see and do what. Um, you know, I, I mean, I, and certainly, I mean, I could imagine, you know, in a large organization, you might even have, you know, a senior manager who get a roll up of like how all of the projects underneath them are doing complying with whatever, you know, edicts they have set forth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, then like I said, we can obviously parallelize it more, um, you know, and, and I think, uh, uh, you know, there, there, there's going to be some things I think that, that, uh, uh, they, that, that our larger enterprises are interested in from a compliance perspective, too. There's also a, a feature that we're working on um, for, especially for app developers who um, are in themselves in a security space and who are under a compliance uh, edict from their customers um, to allow us to, uh, you know, provide comprehensive reports and things to say, yeah, this code, you know, passes all of these things that you said had to be done or explain why this particular result isn't a problem in a, you know, kind of a, a long documentary format that you could put in an audit. Does that make you kind of like an independent third party party in that situation? Yeah, no, I, I think that's actually one of the things that's interesting is that, uh, you know, we can be an independent third party, you know, and, and obviously with, uh, you know, our, our base price model, you know, you're just going to be getting the fact that, yes, we ran this test for you, which I think actually has some value, especially to sort of third parties. Um, we're also contemplating, I think, on the enterprise side, uh, us being able to look over your shoulder and say, yeah, no, it makes sense what they're saying here that this isn't a problem so that you actually can get a third party stamp on it. Yeah. And we've actually historically been viewed um, in a in a kind of informal way as an independent third party. We started off doing these pen tests in the cryptocurrency space on Solidity Code where, you know, small firms like us are looked at as uh, they actually use the term audit. Uh, and so we, the, the origin of the company was running pen tests that other companies would show to their investors and their customers and say, hey, like these, you know, security experts gave it a thumbs up. Right. Uh, and mm. so now we're looking like, oh, how do we, you know, automate that and scale that out? And, you know, and, and we obviously don't, um, you know, replace a human pen test. I mean, I, you know, I can tell you at Bendicia, Every single time I got pen tested, I was happy about it. Like that was where I found the most severe problems that I didn't know existed over, you know, 15 years. Um, You hear that Tyrell? uh, Your, your side gig is safe. But I do think what's really interesting is, is building these kinds of tools into your, into your CI pipeline so that you, because the one thing that I experienced over and over again over the years was, you know, some developer would make a mistake, it would get through, and then it was out there until your next pen test. Yeah. Right. right. And so I think having at least some defense in your CI pipeline so that you can try and stop the really dumb stuff from getting through, um, I think is, is going to be worthwhile. So that, re- that, that leads me to a question that I was curious about, which is, um, what is your vision for how this integrates with an existing CI pipeline? 
yeah, absolutely. So we uh, we haven't yet published the documentation on it yet. Got it. Um, I <clears throat> I obviously need to do a better job of that. Um, but make sure uh, you we, take your AWS keys out before you. We, we have <laughs> yes, we have a. Uh, but we actually uh, we've implemented all this using a RESTful API. Uh, and it. so w when you're using our web client that we offer for you today, that's actually using uh, an API, uh, a RESTful API that we have intended from day one to be a public API. Got so it, it's, not, okay. it's not something that we're trying to be sneaky or secret with. Um, and so my vision on it for, I mean, as far as the, the like, you can do anything is I want to give you access to that API, right? And have you be able to send it, send us your code, get the results back, parse, you know, have that, have those be, be in a symbolic format that you can easily, you know, uh, make decisions based upon in your programs. Um, also, obviously our intention is to, is to integrate ourselves into some of the major tools. I mean, GitHub integration is a very obvious place for us to be going next, sure. uh, you know, to where you check into GitHub and we can have it, have it run your tests and, and, and tell you the results and make CI decisions based upon that. Um, don't have it this week, but uh, but that's obviously a high priority for us. You should also, when you have that, you should crawl that damn list of public projects on GitHub <laughs> and uh, run static analysis clients, on yeah. it, and and then and then send automated emails to people and and use that as a as a I, business yeah, development actually, tool. Yeah, exactly. yeah, it's a great sales pipeline tool. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nothing that sells like fear. Would be like very interesting in terms of you know cold emails. Um, mm -hmm. but, uh, lots of things for later. I'll only take a very small commission on everyone that you get. For that. <laughs> <laughs> you guys will be sending us emails. Um, <laughs> yeah. So this is a question for Alyssa. Um, what you know in this process is the most unexpected um, kinds of things that you've seen from from oh, static yeah. analysis? You know, I I wouldn't think that static analysis would be so funny, um, but. Just these programs really are uh, quirky and, and sometimes uh, fetchy. I think part of what we're able to do in terms of value add is just, you know, deliver something with a tone that is a little less like finger wagging. Um, Find bugs is one example. Uh, they have a whole category of errors and issues that they just refer to as dodgy code. Is that is that the that's the Java uh, static analysis yeah. tool? Yeah, for mm. Java, just like the code is dodgy. Like, what is that even? <laughs> I don't. You know, I'm reading through it. I'm like, dodgy code. Just, is that very bad? Is that not bad at all? Your static analysis tool comes out and says, "Bro, this is like super sketch." <laughs> <laughs> uh. Just like that. Like, I wouldn't trust them to like hold your space in line. Don't yeah. you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, messaging and formality in, in software engineering world, not exactly our strong point. I, I would be scared to find out if a machine thinks my code is dodgy. Mm. Yeah. yeah well, that was, <laughs> I, and, and unfortunately, I forget which tool it was, but literally one of the first tools I ran, uh, it, 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 you ran it, and by default, it came out with a score on your code of, uh, of 100, right? And it was mm -hmm. like, 9.6, right? And you're like, oh, well, screw you too. Yeah, right? yeah, like, yeah. I, I don't care what your opinion is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like 9.6, you know, think... and it's logarithmic. So. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> I, would, I would get in a fight because I always hate uh, the, the, the code generated from a computer. It's just like, Whatever you can't do any better. I've seen what comes out of a whistle. Yeah, yeah. You, who are you to judge my code? I've, I've seen used what Dreamweaver before. <laughs> you don't know. Exactly. <laughs> oh God, Dreamweaver. computer. Yeah. Fight me. Uh, that's awesome. 
Mm-hmm. I haven't thought of Dreamweaver in forever. You're welcome. That was good. Uh, that was a good. That was a good like six year run where the Dreamweaver didn't exist to me fusion. anymore. Oh, <laughs> cold fusion. Mm. Good times. All the Adobe stuff. This is back when Mac servers were a thing. Mac yeah. servers gone now. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not. It's kind of recent actually that they sunset the macOS server. They don't do that anymore. Yeah. I didn't know that it was still a thing. I I, I read it somewhere. We had I, we had one of those once at Vendicia. I forget. We, I think we were trying to run like an LDAP server or something on it mm. for some reason. Someone so, thought that was a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> in, in a in a past life for me, I came out of the news media industry. I, I worked for a lot of newspapers, and and so we had a lot of. Um, Apple products and, and macOS server because of the desktop publishing world. And so right. in those times, like the really good products that Adobe put out um, for managing teams of people using, it was PageMaker and then it became InDesign and, and Photoshop and things like that, would run on a macOS server. So mm. we had OS ten servers at both of the newspapers I worked at, and this was over a decade ago now. Um, and that's where I use them. And I've I've not known a use case for macOS server outside of that. Mm. It was just a place to take your automator scripts so that it didn't run on your iMac and it ran on the on the on the Blade iMac in the closet basically. Yeah. I think well, I think they still have the like $5,000 or like $10,000 black Mac towers. Have you, you seen the new use. ones? I'm, the cheese grater. Yeah. yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. That, yeah. Those are intense. Yeah, the, the trash can's gone. Trash can's out. Cheese grater in. I think they do it just for basically. It's like, hey, you need Pro Tools for your home studio. Yep. Take here and they got all your money. They got and you can never over, over the new Mac displays that don't come with a stand. It's a whole thing. Oh wow, I'm I'm very out of the loop. The stand's a thousand dollars. What? No. <laughs> you, look at the up. monitor yeah. stand is a thousand dollars. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, I mean, it makes sense if you if you think of Apple as a lifestyle brand now. Oh, right? it's, right. Yeah. 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 It's it's Gucci for yeah exactly for yeah. nerds. We'll, we'll mm. see with Joni Ives gone. I know. Uh, right. Yeah. Mm. I don't know what that'll change. Uh, well, apparently it's going to change the keyboard. Hooray! Oh, really? Oh, are they changing it? So I haven't heard. Happy. Yeah, they, they announced that, or the rumor, they didn't announce. The rumor, though, is that in tw- the 2020 MacBook Pro is going to have a new keyboard. Interesting. Are they going to move? Yeah, I the, wonder. the timing of it, it was literally like that rumor came out like the like on Johnny Ives' last day. So. <laughs> like, we're doing away with command. Don't let the keyboard you, hit you, you on the way out. What do you think of the new? You've got a you've yeah. got a uh, the newest MacBook the, in the fleet. I've got yeah. one of, of that style, a year older, but I I like it. The Touch Bar is pretty cool. Um, I've yet to find a use for the Touch Bar outside. I, I, I had one. I mean, so at Vendicia, I had one of the, I carried one of those for a year and. Uh, well, I mean, first of all, I'm so old, I use Emacs, and so not oh, having a physical yeah. nice. escape key. Yes, like, I was about to say. leg out from under me from a productivity perspective. So, and then, But then that keyboard, that because they are so obsessed with making it so thin, there's no travel on the keys, and it yeah. hurt my hands to type yeah. on that keyboard. You're bottoming like, out I too just, hard. I, I was like, I... I never thought I, I I run a Windows laptop now. I never would have thought I would. I was always a Linux or Mac OS guy, um, but like they chased me out. Did you carry a mechanical keyboard around with you? See, that's what we all. Uh, have. No, no, yeah, exactly. I, 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 just, yeah. got, uh, I do have a. Uh, yeah. a really nice oh, nice. Are you, are, you, are you rolling? Are you rolling blues or reds or browns? Browns. 
Uh, no, yeah, no, I'm a uh, uh, shoot. I forget honestly the the whatever the lo- the, uh, the 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 quiet the uh, non clicky quietest is. That might be the black or the browns. Yeah. Meetings like this and people won't notice. Yeah. So. I've I've got the blues, which is the opposite thing. Which is I want it to be so loud that everyone notices and just yes, be a, yeah. a public, no, I love public that, nuisance. Actually. Yeah. Before I started before I started working remotely and doing all of this you know video conferencing stuff, that was what I had. But yeah. then it was like, oh, now if I'm not actually paying attention to the meeting and writing some code, then everyone it's really hear. obvious. Everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I know Pro that tip. you're writing code during our all hands, and I think it's great. Like if I go on the side chat with Ruben, and like we're talking about some, you know, like CSS thing that you don't need to do. I'm like, yeah, like Brett wastes no time. I think it's great. You would be shocked, or maybe not, how much code has been written during the recording of this podcast. Mm. I've seen it, I've seen Tyrell write a lot of code. Yeah, I've I've I've, I've hate deployed and bug fixed during our podcast. You know, the, time or two obviously sure. the the name of the show is is tongue in cheek uh, that we shouldn't Friday afternoon deploy, but we have managed to deploy a lot of code from uh, from behind this control board. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the first time I learned about the hazards of a Friday afternoon deploy. Um, I never forget it. I get flashbacks about. It. Yeah. I was working at a company that will, we will not name and shame them, but I was working at a very large now public company. Um, and they Can you tell us what it rhymes with? No. <laughs> they had an agreement with a partner that uh, it was going to ship on this Friday, and whoever made the deal, I guess, like, you know, some business person who doesn't know the hazards of shipping on a Friday yep. made this deal. And this mm. was like before the days of remote. And so like when we all left the office, we all left the office and, yeah. and it would be hard to fix something with like only one of us, right? Like you needed a dev and like QA, like Friday afternoon, like we went home and nothing else happened until Monday. Mm. Uh, and so we shipped this big important thing that absolutely had to get done on a Friday. Cause that was the deal that the business people had made. And then we all went home. And then, and then, and then and Monday then you, happened. And then you came back Saturday. <laughs> yeah. No. Oh, really? Monday. No, because um, it just, it wasn't, it like, we never worked on a Saturday. Uh, it was just a culture of, like, sometimes you would work late or, like, once in a while you'd work on the weekend to get something shipped. But, like, there wasn't a process to bring everyone in for a bug fix or for uh, happy customers. My my first experience and, and had many experiences with a with a Friday afternoon deploy. I made my software engineering career working in uh, relatively small businesses or non traditional tech businesses like the newspaper industry. Big newspaper I worked for statewide, one here in Arkansas. Um, but I was one of two engineers and and definitely the most senior engineer on the team. One of them was like a page designer that that was coming into the engineering world, but very junior. And so um, just as much. Um, kind of lack of, of caution to asking us to deploy on a Friday, but also um, not very many barriers of insulation between me and the top management, which meant that they asked us to deploy on Friday. We did. Shit went down, and I was back Friday night. So we would get called in a lot. And we had a lot of... We've, we talked on the show a little bit. We had one episode that we just talked about war room days. Mm-hmm. That's That's like... Some of my fondest memories of, of writing code in the news media industry were like these intense, like two days sleeping at our desks, trying to bring services back online, 
kind they, of things. Oh, yeah, did, they literally tape, the did they literally tape the War Room on the door? Because those are my when, favorites when they do that. <laughs> they tape the paper. Someone writes War Room on a piece no, of paper and tapes on the door. Did, I've did, seen folks do that. They circulated an email around the company of me and the other software engineers sleeping at our desks. So it was like slackers that they uh, sent <laughs> No, that's because you never went home. Exactly. I worked for I worked for like 28 hours straight or something like that. I remember uh, I remember I had one of those events we were trying to to, to add some uh, uh, scalability right before a really big customer launch uh, at Vendicia. And we oh, had the, this the, uh, the irony. <laughs> we, had, we had this office building where they uh, turned off the lights on the weekends uh, <laughs> automatically and there was no way to turn them back on. <laughs> uh, so, we were, so we were all in there like on Saturday night in pitch dark with no heat. Like, uh, and the one guy who had a desk on his lamp, his light bulb burned out. So he, he, ra- he wandered off to another part of the company, stole a light bulb out of the receptionist like desk lamp. And, you know, we finally got everything basically done. We went home late Sunday night. Everybody was happy. Came in the next morning to an angry all-company email from the receptionist. I can't believe that I work with such unprofessional people that someone would steal my <laughs> steal light bulb. Steal a light bulb. <laughs> oh, and so, the, uh, so the, the guy who had done it, who was our DBA, then uh, took a basket and put it on his desk and filled it with light bulbs. And <laughs> signed it with have a light, need a light bulb, take a light bulb, have a light bulb, need a light bulb. <laughs> uh, Community that's, light bulb. That's classic trolling. That's pretty funny. Thank you, Mark. Mm-hmm. We, we, we always worked in the dark by choice in those situations. Yeah. It felt more like a, you know, like a, like a war room situation. Oh, um, I, I'm the same. Like I want it to be dark, but yeah, mm. we have blackout shades in the, in the in the, the dev side of the, the office code dungeon. now, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The code dungeon. I, I want to be rich enough to get the uh, those uh, uh, LCD light you know panels that you can get. So you can basically you flip a switch and it, and it, the window just goes black. That like sounds, that's that's definitely my dream. I'm not to, yeah. that I didn't know this was a thing. Yeah, I'm gonna look that up and put it in the show notes. Back in the day, we would as a teenager. Uh, I never did this. But I had a friend that foiled sure. their foiled their window. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. that is the ultimate blackout. And I, have I, remember, a, I have a neighbor that does that, but I think his motives are different. It, it definitely <laughs> makes you look very shady instantly, very dodgy, very dodgy with yeah. a foil in your window. <laughs> yeah, I stayed the night I'm at Matt's not house. Not approved. <laughs> I stayed the night at Matt's house once and slept till two in the afternoon because there was no light. Anywhere in that room, I woke up and I was like, "Oh God, I lost an entire day here. What is happening? What month is it?" Yeah, it was it was intense. It's like I can never sleep over here again, man. It was yeah, fun stuff. <laughs> it's <I> weird. Being <laughs> I went back for more on that and had nothing. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Like that office, just you know, our company is totally remote. I'm thinking about all these, mm. you know, there's mm. all these like hijinks that happen when you're all in the same space. Yeah, yeah. that's true. It's um, good. It, it can be. Hey, yeah. you know what we did today? Yeah. Is we spent a lot of time with your new Oculus. Is it Quest? Quest, yeah. I got Oculus, Oculus Quest today. Um, so those were the hijinks we were up to. Lots of lots of work got done today. Yeah, yeah. it's a it's a te- it's a um, completely untethered VR headset, and you can play games with and stuff. So yeah, like, I'm, oh, look. I'm super. Inter- I have a Rift. I've been inter- super interested mm, in getting yeah. a Quest though. It's really good. It's it's awesome. It's a whole new experience. So yeah, I was like, anytime code was shipping, it's just like, all right. <laughs> Tests are running. Time to go play Beat Saber, and like we'd have it projected on the wall, and it was just like swinging and stuff. And that's pretty I mean, good. Yeah, you know, getting everybody a VR set, headset with the Beat Saber is not a bad company health plan, really. No, oh, that's true. I, yeah. I, you good were for doing, morale too. Before when we were preparing for the show. Uh, you were you were deep into a round of something. I don't know because we weren't projecting the screen anymore. Oh yeah, that's but right. I turned to Alan and I said, "Tyrell's getting his workout." Like, <laughs> yeah. it was, 
when Tyrell, when you hear labored breathing from this dude who runs 100-mile races, like, you were wow. doing some intense... I don't know what you were doing. I was in one 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 saber mode, and so oh. you're like, oh yeah, you're moving everywhere. <laughs> I'm, I'm not that that good yet. So, so. Leg- legit health perk, uh, Brett. You you guys could uh, maybe get away with that, probably, but not really. Uh, Noted. We'll 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 try it though. You guys try it first. If you get away with that, you get a discount on your health premiums. We'll. Uh, Let's see if we can make that happen. <laughs> That's way better than the Apple Watch thing they mm. were giving away. Yeah. That's about the same price. Yeah, totally. I was surprised at the price. Would you say it was? 400 400 bucks? Mm. I'm in. Can't That's what it. I told when I played it. I was like, this is actually a credit card device that I just spent money on when I put it on my head. <laughs> I realized I just spent yeah, $400. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Just I'm, by looking at it. Um, I'm confirming. I think there is a referral code. That I can give you. Oh. Give it on the air. Because Do you get money back. <laughs> I think, yeah, my referrals. That, oh, that yeah. thing's about to be free. I'm about to, uh, I'm, about to, <laughs> I'm about to invite some folks to some Oculus. It'll be awesome. It's only for our patrons. I have, uh, to, I have to send you an email. Which yeah, one, yeah, yeah. <laughs> send an email to all the patrons. To all of our Patreon patrons, which I, I do want to take a minute because um, we have some new ones. I want to give them some shout outs. Um, Wayman's uh, a patron now. You guys know Wayman. Yep. Uh, Thank you, Wayman. Yeah. We appreciate that. Uh, Bjartney Julesson is from Iceland. I met him about 10 years ago um, at a Django training session led by RevSys. That, that was back when Jacob Kaplan Moss was still doing Django training. So yeah. we did Django training, Bjartney and I did, with uh, in, in Kansas City. Uh, and then Ben Coleman. I asked Ben Coleman, um, hey, thanks for, thanks for supporting us. Um, what kind of things would you be interested in as perks? And he said, hey, maybe some stickers would be cool. Uh, but he said, thanks. Um, your show makes helps make my commute bearable. So mm. I thought that was a pretty pretty cool. Yeah. Thanks, Ben. Our pleasure. There, there is yeah, no absolutely. higher calling. I know, right? Um, true story. I used to commute. I had a 60-mile one-way commute. Um, well, I mean, it was, a, it was a two-way commute, but it was 60 miles one way. <laughs> I, I did come home um, to, that, to that very newspaper. And uh, yeah. Podcasts were were a huge part of. I listened to a lot of Twit, uh, a lot of Leo Laporte came through my nice. car speakers in those those years. Oh, the but. Twit! Just thinking about your patrons, uh, we can probably offer something for your patrons. Just Brett and I will have to chat about it. That would be fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you've got something for for our 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 best customers, let us know. We'll we'll definitely get it over to them. That sounds great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you know. Mad dash to hit the patron button now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so pull, yeah. Be sure to pull over before you mm. yes. pull up yeah. your phone. Don't do it on your commute to, <laughs> to, to get that patron, Patreon app going. Yeah, for, uh, patreon.com slash Friday Afternoon Deploy. We're excited. Um, thanks, thanks for supporting us. Um, all right, I, had, I, wa- I want to talk about one more thing before we run out of time. Um, Alyssa, you had mentioned uh, to me uh, that there was a conference coming up, um, the Commercial Open Source Software Summit. Oh yeah, I'm excited about it. Are you guys going to it? Are you present? Are you like exhibiting there? I'm friends with some of the folks involved. I'm still going to be in London when all that is happening. Mm. Uh, But uh, I think I'm really excited about it as an inflection point. So you know, faster than light is building on top of open source tools. We're commercializing them, and there are a lot of reasons why this is great. I mean, if you're an enterprise, then you want that kind of support, but also it's good for the open source movement, right? Just get more people involved. It sounds like your firm's doing that to some extent as well. Uh, so the fact that there's this whole conference coming together around the idea that people are building on top of open source tools, but also commercializing them, right? Uh, just 
Like it's this is the first time it's happening. I think it's it's a cool moment where people are realizing that you don't have to be all or nothing, right? Like right. for a long time there was this idea that either like you're open source and you're a hundred percent open source and you're hundred percent free or you're like nineties era Microsoft. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> and like now, like w- there's this idea of open core uh, where you build on top of open source tools. Mm. Yep. We're probably more technically like open crust. Um, so, you know, you could get into the nuances of it, uh, but I'm just, I'm really excited that there's this kind of new gray area uh, that we can be part of pushing. Forward. I think that's cool. I, I you know, yeah. definitely like on stuff that we're doing as products, um, that is, that is, that does describe us to a certain extent. Um, for a long time, our business has been making money in the, in the building of things with open source tools. It was like, it's like the, it's like the sword in the stone. Um, you're paying us because like it's there, but we know how to wield it. Um, right. <laughs> kind yeah. of deal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but it wasn't a product. It was like, it was like the value was in building the software, not licensing the software once it's built, um, for at least for our business. Um, in, in some cases, we do sometimes license. But um, yeah, I, I think that you know, there's a lot of things that way. I mean, it, it's probably hard to find a SaaS product. It's hard to find. It. There is nothing out there today that doesn't exist with at least some foundational components that are open source, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody's building their own web servers. Like seriously, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, someone well, is, I but mean, you know, she, Come on. Uh, yeah, I, I guess I, IIS is not open source. I don't know. Max Crone built um, OK, was it called OK Server? So like OK Cupid is running on something. Are they really? Server, I'm eating my software. words immediately. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, OK Cupid's a super cool organization from a type. I don't know if you ever read their data blog. Um, I do not. They've got, some, they've got some really cool insights and data science they're doing over there, but a uh, very cool place from, from an engineering perspective. So I'm wrong, but um, I mean, like, you, you understand, right, that's how much of, of everything is, is dependent, at least at some level, on open source. Everything has at least tertiary dependencies, yeah. right? Like it's, mm-hmm. You know, we can name, you know, on one hand, like, the number of companies that we know for sure are doing something different. Exactly. Right, yeah. right. Do you guys, as as someone that is open core, have plans to um, formalize kind of a contribution to the, the the core open source products you're building? As in, like, I know some. I know. I think of um, when a a company is both like commercializing and maintaining. They they have some aspect of of ensuring that since you guys aren't also like like maintainers of those those open source tool, right. uh, tools are, do you, do you have plans to kind of like, you want right. to, you know, five hours a week or 10 hours a week or just kind of like contribute what you can, when you can, or, or how, well, how do you guys plan to manage kind of that whole aspect of things? We had two interns coming in this summer and their whole job was actually supposed to be contributing to open source. Nice. But, um, it, then they came in they're like, actually, we don't know enough python or enough code like we can't do it (laughs) and so they've ended up being redirected um well i'll say this a lot when we talk to people here and and just generally in the community about like people saying i want to contribute to open source but i don't have the skills um 
everybody needs help contributing documentation. Yep. Like there is not an open source yeah. project out there mm. that would not welcome you to come write docs for them. So that's a really good starting point. Um, if you want to get some some if you want to get some commits into your favorite framework write some docs like people will yeah, love you for absolutely it. well and, and also i mean to expand a little bit on uh, on on your question uh, you know i think uh uh one of the places that i think we can i could see us really being able to give back to some of these tools is once we have a little bit more data on kind of uh, running them across a broad spectrum of products i think we may be able to just improve messaging on them and things like that um you know if nothing else i know there's stuff you know i've seen tools now where i've already had to write a whole bunch of ex special exceptions to parse their output it's like well well, hey, a, a patch to make that easier would probably be in everyone's best interest, right? So, yeah. um, you know, that's yeah. certainly the sort of thing that we want to be doing and keeping an eye open on. Um, I will say right this second, we're not quite big enough yet to have the idea of, you know, you've got your 20% time. Hmm. Um, but uh, but certainly, you know, to the extent that we we see those opportunities, we're going to take them and give back. So, that's awesome. Yeah, yep. it's it's important. And, you know, it's, it's something that, um, that we... Every no one has time for that. I guess is the way to say it, right? A lot of people say, "Oh, we don't have time." Well, no one does, right? You have to make that time, mm. uh, and it's tough to I do. Mean, you know, I, I can say, I mean, anecdotally, having you know run a lot of open source software over the years, I mean, you know, every now and then I do find a bug in the open source product, and I'm able to, and and yep. usually mm. once you do that, the fastest way to get it fixed for yourself is to fix it. Yeah. Um. You know, and I, it's pretty easy at that point to then you know hand that back to the community, and so that's that's certainly something that you know my team have done over the years many times and I would certainly expect to continue doing that. You know, something I've seen a lot in like, um, you know, using an open source tool, it doesn't quite work. People fork it and fix it and then run on the fork, you know, of like, oh, we had to fork it so that we could fix this thing and run on it. It's like, well, open a pull request get that back in there don't first yeah. of all don't run on a fork for you know those reasons but two like you've got the fix get it back in there so yeah um, i mean who wants you know if you're going to run this thing for 10 years who wants to manage merging all of the changes in right, right. i mean i can uh, i can tell you a, i can tell you a, a a large public organization that's perfectly <laughs> fine with that uh that i had done some work with uh they forked django at 1.3 and as far as i know they're still on django 1.3 yeah. this is mm. uh this might have been before you had uh, many to many uh, joins in the ORM. Think, think, think of all the security problems they've dodged mm. because of all the new features that were added after 1.3 that had problems. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, they, <laughs> they dodged them, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's the mm -hmm. yeah. Right there. Like, we've never had an OWASP problem. Cause, <laughs> cause, <laughs> we just had our code predate yeah. OWASP, and it's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we forked this, and, and no one's ever talked about that version being vulnerable ever again. Terrifying. Uh, well, it's been super cool hanging out with you guys this afternoon and chatting with yeah. you. Um, thanks for joining us. Uh, Alyssa and Brett, uh, you can find their company at fasterthanlight.dev. And the product that we talked about today, the, uh, the static analysis tool, is uh, bugcatcher.fasterthanlight.dev. Did I get that right? Yes. Excellent. And thanks so much for having us on. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks for joining us. You guys are welcome anytime. All right, We'd well, love that. We could do something special for your patrons with video this time. I'll be like all prepped in advance. That'll be all. Just let us know. Yeah, we'll 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 let people know. All right. Well, thanks everybody. It's yeah. been a week. All right. Thanks. We'll, we'll see you in a week. Enjoy the weekend.
Thanks for listening to Friday Afternoon Deploy, recorded and produced by the team at Lofty Labs. If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe to future episodes via iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. You can also follow at Friday Deploy on Facebook and Twitter for episode previews, live streams, and other behind-the-scenes peaks. Past episodes and show notes on this episode can be found at friday.hirelofty.com. That's friday.h-i-r-e-l-o-f-t-y.com. If you'd like to contact the show, or if you're local to the Northwest Arkansas area and would like to be a guest on the show, you can email us at podcast at hirelofty.com.